When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Kit Simons, player, coach, manager. In this episode of the TTM podcast, we bring you the story of Premier League player Kit Simons' career. Formerly of Portsmouth, Manchester City, Crystal Palace and most notably Fulham. We also tell the story of his career in coaching. From being the caretaker boss at Crystal Palace... Moving on to take the top job at Fulham, Colchester, assistant manager of Wales via Sunderland, ending up, in all places, China. With incredible insights and stories from his illustrious career, the TTM podcast are proud to give you Kit Simons, My Life in Football. Simons, and you're listening to the TTM podcast. 
Hello and welcome to this episode of the TTM podcast where tonight we're joined by Kit Simons who used to play for Manchester City, Portsmouth, Fulham and also a spectacular career with Wales. Kit, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Excellent. It's absolutely fantastic to have you on our podcast. Uh, Just for the listeners, we're going to go through Kit's career and his life in football, which is a really interesting story. We thank you for giving us the time of day, which we really appreciate. Uh, James, do you want to kick us off uh, with Portsmouth? Yeah, so Kit, you started your career as a a youth team player at Portsmouth, come through the ranks there. Would, Would it have been Jim Smith that brought you through for your first team debut? Um, no, it wasn't. No, I signed um, schoolboy forms initially at Portsmouth with um, Alan Ball. Um, oh, okay. Was was a youth team coach and then took over from Bobby Campbell's first team manager. Um, and then I signed a, a, a YTS uh, when Bawley was the manager, first team manager then. And um, he actually gave gave me my my, my league debut. Um, was his last game in charge, actually. We, we lost 2-1 away to Leicester. And he got sacked um, the following day. So, um, yeah, he gave me my debut ball here at Portsmouth and then obviously signed me for Man City a few, eight years later on. Yeah, I was going to say that wasn't the last time you, you you came across Alan Ball, was it? No, that's right. Yeah, like I say, he's, he then, then became my manager at Manchester City So a few years after. So, yeah, our paths crossed a fair bit. Um, in terms of Alan Ball, obviously World Cup winner with England in 1966, huge, hugely respected figure, uh, especially in the English game. What was he like to work for, Kit, to work for? Well, firstly, obviously I came across him when I was a, a kid in, in Basingstoke. I signed schoolboy forms. Um, and he'd come, so we used to, I was brought up and went to school in Basingstoke and Portsmouth had a, a sense of excellence there. And Ball, he would come down regularly to take the training on a Wednesday night and for us, you know, young kids to, to have Alan Ball, I say World Cup winner, taking us training and he's, he wasn't sort of going through the motions either. He was just so enthusiastic about football. I don't think it mattered whether he was training 11, 12 year olds or, or senior players. He just had this, this huge enthusiasm uh, for football. And so, so for me, as, as my first, um, sort of senior person to, to coach me was absolutely incredible and it was um, you know I was very lucky uh, in that respect and then like I say yeah, he, he then signed me on pro a few years later gave me my league debut and then ended up signing me at Man City as well yeah, I mean, the signing at Man City was obviously a seg- seven-figure sum um, back in them days as well, which is quite a significant amount of money, a massive amount of faith shown in you, um, to be fair. In terms of your career at Portsmouth, just to finish off on that, what are your fondest memories of, of putting on a Portsmouth shirt? Um, well, I was there for eight years from leaving school, doing like a, a YTS programme and then signing pro. Um, I had some brilliant times. Um, sort of a lot of... It was brilliant and I, I really enjoyed it, but we sort of just missed out on a few occasions. We got to the FA Cup semi-final um, where we lost to Liverpool. Uh, after a replay, we drew one all at Highbury and then lost, uh, drew nil-nil then at Villa Park and went to penalties and, and we lost on pens. Um, just missed out on, on promotion. I remember we, we finished level on points with West Ham one year uh, who got the second spot and, and we, we missed out by, I think, one goal. Um, to West Ham and then we finished 12 points ahead of Leicester 
who we lost to then in the playoffs. You know, we finished third, they were sixth, and we lost to them in the playoffs. So we, we had some great times, but never really quite actually won anything or achieved anything in as much as a promotion or getting to the cup final or anything like that. But brilliant times. It was a wonderful club. And, a, I mean, still one of my favourite memories in football was, was walking out before the semi-final at Highbury and all the Pompey fans throwing the ticker tape up in the air. It was just one of those most, incre- just most incredible experiences ever. Was man with a bell there in those days? Yeah, Johnny Westwood was there all the way through. Yeah, he's, um, uh, I know him quite well, actually, John. He's a real top, top fella. And yeah, been, been going and ringing his bell since, since I can remember, that's for sure. He owns a bookshop, doesn't he, Kit? He does, yeah. Yeah. Does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's every a... time you watch Portsmouth on the TV, all you hear is a ding, 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 ding. Yeah, every yeah. time this guy is absolutely famous within the footballing circle of, of, of England, no doubt. Um, am I right in saying that um, Jim Smith managed you for a bit of Portsmouth as well? No, well, Jimmy, so I was, um, yeah, Borley signed me, then we had um, John Gregory took over, Frank Burrows, um, and I was sort of like played the odd game here and there. Um, yeah. And then Jim came in and I played every game. That first season that Jim came in, um, I was I was ever present in the first team that year and, and got player of the season. And, and Jim was was an incredible manager and a, an incredible person as well. Top, top fella. And, you know, everyone sees him as this real character, which he, he certainly was. But there was um, there was a lot more to him than just being a, a character and a personality. He had a really good football knowledge and, and football brain as well. I always, I always remember Jim from his time at Derby. Derby, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, back when I was a kid, it, he was always the man at Derby, wasn't he? Um, so you get the move to, to Man City. Is there any truth? Uh, I, I heard a little, uh, little anecdote from yourself uh, about your agent when you were going to go to Man City and he promised you if you made the move, to a top club in England, he would get you an England cap. And at that point, you'd already <laughs> had 15 caps for Wales. No, no, this, so this was, um, yeah, this wasn't my agent. This was uh, when when Jim got sacked at, at Portsmouth, um, Terry Fennick took over as manager, yeah, yeah. Whose, whose agent was Eric Hall. So, um, yeah, so, so, so I was, that was my time. When Jim got sacked, I was, I was going to go then, you know, I'd made my mind that there's quite a lot of interest from other clubs leading up to that. Um, but I was quite happy there all the time Jim was there. But when, when Jim got sacked, um, and I felt harshly sacked as well, to be honest, um, I was sort of I decided to go anyway. So, yeah, so I played, we played Millwall on, um, on a Tuesday night at Fratton Park. And after the game, Terry Fennick said, listen, Eric calls you, he, he wants to have a chat with you. Would you talk to him? I said, yeah, no problem. So took him into the executive lounge, which I knew would be packed full of people. Everyone's looking over, you know, Kit Simons is talking to Eric Hall. And yeah, he basically, he, he, he said, you know, I can, you know, he'll, he'll sort of like pretty much guarantee me an England cap. But as you say, I've played 15 times for Wales already. So that was never quite going to happen. But it was one of, those, one of those funny things that happen in football from time to time. Madness. I mean, it won't be the, probably the first or the last agent to, to bullshit a player. <laughs> well, listen. There's there's, you know, there's there's an element of that in the game, that's for sure. Um, always, always was, and and always will be. You know, but it's an S part of it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you arrive at Main Road. Um, 
massive club in English football, Manchester City. Obviously, even before the money, they were a big club anyway. I would definitely say a top 15, I would argue, uh, in, the, in, in the English game, no doubt about it. Massive pedigree in, in our country. Um, the players that you played with there... King Clancy. I mean, James, you can reel off some names, can't you? You've some yeah. World. Well, so the team you had the, the first year you went to uh, Man City kit. I was actually quite impressed. I remember that side when I was younger, but uh, at that age, probably didn't really respect these players as much. I mean, I'm looking through it last night. Niall Quinn, Nigel Clough, Keith Curl, Peter Beagery, Uwe Rossler, King Clancy, Lomas, Summerby. Yeah, that's a hell of a team. It was, yeah. Gary Flitcroft was in there that yeah. first season as well to throw in. He was a really good player, Flitty. Um, yeah, I mean, quite a few of them were, were injured for a lot. But Beegs was, Beegs was injured uh, the whole time. He didn't play at all that first season. Right. Um, and it, yeah, there were a lot of good players there. Um, but it just it didn't, I don't know, the balance wasn't right. It didn't gel whatever, I don't know, and it's, there were, there were problems at the club prior to, to mm. sort of me turning up, which I wasn't aware of, and it it was a tough time, it was the, the club was already starting to have a difficult time, and it just obviously carried on and got, got worse and worse as, um, as time went by, I mean, after that first season, pretty much all of those players left yeah. um, to go, it was really sort of me and, me and Georgie in Cladsey stayed, um, and it, yeah, it was a, it was a, a really tough time. Brilliant football club, fantastic football club, um, brilliant support and following, uh, and that's that's part of the reason. I, I'm so pleased to see them being so successful now. Obviously, there's this influx of money, but you know, City have got they've got proper fans, and these fans were turning up when we were crap. Let's get it right. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. in great numbers, and it almost became like a cult thing. They wanted us to be really good or really crap. And it was, unfortunately, we were really crap when I was there for a lot of yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> but the fans, now the fans were brilliant, I've got to say. And, and that's why I'm, I'm delighted and pleased to see them and, and they deserve all the success the club's getting these days. No, absolutely. I think uh, the, the holy grail for, for that football club is the Champions League. Um, there's no two ways about it. And I think that's why obviously Pep was brought into the football club was to secure the holy grail of club football in the Champions League. Now, obviously, the relegation in, ensued in the Premier League and uh, it was a, a, a bit of a turbulent time in the Championship as well at that time. Notoriously a difficult league even today. Probably one of the world's most hardest leagues is the Championship. And then obviously... A relegation again, which was going to be very difficult for any player to take. Um, you then obviously make a switch to Fulham and an association of love for a football club and Kit Simons from the outside looking in. As I said earlier, when anybody says Kit Simons, my automatic thing is Fulham. Um, it may not be for yourself. You may have an affiliation with another club, but to the, to the bigger football community, it would be Fulham uh, alongside Chris Coleman. And I, I remember Kevin Keegan coming in. As I said, as, as a Warsaw fan, that Fulham team were unbelievable. Um, they, I remember them knocking out Aston Villa um, when they were top of the Premier League in the FA Cup. Um, that was a big victory. I remember listening to that on, on the, in the car on the way back with my dad after a game that we'd been to, been to, been to watch. I think, Christ, they've just knocked out Aston Villa now. Um, what was it like walking into that dressing room then at Craven Cottage? Um, well, it's just a little bit of background to it. So what happened, yeah. we, we got relegated, like you say, at Man City, and I've been offered a new contract 
Um, and then literally sort of last minute, that contract got withdrawn. So I was like, I just, um, just had my first child, actually, my first little girl, and suddenly contract taken away. So I, was like, so I started actually training with Man City, doing pre-season training, but knowing that I wasn't getting a contract, it had just been taken away. Um, I spoke to a club in the championship, um, but then Chris Coleman phoned me up, um, who obviously I played for Wales with at under 17s, under 21s, and, and in the full side, um, just saying, listen, mate, you know, I'm at Fulham, as you know. He said, I'm, I'm just here with Kevin Keegan. Get yourself down. Something big's happening here, I promise you. And then he passed the phone over to Kevin. who um, And I said, listen, I've already spoken to a club in the Championship, which is a league higher than Fulham at the time. They'd offered me a deal. Um, and it was it was a good one. And Kevin said, listen, just promise me, just come and talk to me. Just come down here and see us before you actually sign. So out of respect, because it was Kevin Keegan, I said, OK. So I went down, um, met with Kevin, walked around the, the cottage and ran the training ground, which is a, they train at the Bank of England's training, training grounds in Richmond Park at the time. And Kevin just sold me this sort of dream. He said, listen, I guarantee you we will be in the Premier League in five years. And you, you're looking around and Craven Cottage is a little tiny <laughs> ground and the training ground, like I say, Frank Winger wasn't even theirs. And you're thinking, really? But you knew, obviously, it was, it was Alfa had money there. Yeah. And it was also, it was a small club. Fulham is, is quite a small club, really, but it was so well run. Uh, there's a guy called Neil Rodford was the, the CEO at the time, um, who was just really very, very professional. Just the way the club was being run, and, you know, Kevin at the helm and then Mohamed Al-Fayed sort of holding the purse strings. It just felt really, really good. And so I ended up signing for Fulham, a league lower and for less money than the other club that I was going to sign for because it just felt right. And, you know, it turned out to be a good decision. Was, would Ray Wilkins have been there then, Kit? No, Ray had just gone. I mean, Ray was someone I, I knew very well over the years anyway, but Ray had just left Fulham at that time. So I think when, it, when it first, they first went in there, Ray was the manager and Kevin was sort of like director of football. Yeah. Um, but then Ray went and Kevin took over as, as the out-and-out manager. Uh, that's when I came in then, the start of that season. I mean, that just walking into that dressing room, I mean, going to reel off a load of players again. But the team you had that season, if if you were put to put an equivalent team together of, of this today in League One, for example, I mean, Mike Taylor, Philippe Albert on loan, Chris Coleman, Rufus Brevitt, Sean Davis, a young Sean Davis, John Salako, Barry Hales, Jeff Horsfield, Paul Pesquisolido, Steve Finnan, Peter Beardsley, who you played with at City as well. I mean, that is some team for that league. No, that's right. It was, I mean, to be fair, like a few of them, like Peter Beasley came in on loan sort of later on. Philip Albert came in a bit later on on loan. Um, Jeff Horsfield signed when I was there. Sort of Barry Owls sort of came a bit as well, but certainly Pesh and, and Cookie, Chris Coleman and people like that. It was Rufus. It was a really strong, really strong, solid League One team. Do you know what I mean? It was too good for League One. At least we yeah. won League One. I wouldn't say at a canter because a lot of the games, to be honest, I know it was, you know, Kevin's known for his free-flowing football and attacking football. Yeah. Um, he, he had Frank Sibley as a coach with him. 
who did a load of work, Frank, with the, we quite often played a back three or sometimes a back four, but certainly with the, the defenders, Frank did a load of work with us, a load of attacking set pieces. And we ended up, I think we had a record number of clean sheets that year. And, and then I scored 11 goals. I think Chris scored <laughs> eight or something, seven or eight. And Simon Morgan got six. So from the three centre halves, you know, we got a real good, good tally of goals uh, and a record number of clean sheets. So as much as Kevin was was brilliant and did a load of work, Frank Sibley deserves a lot of the credit for that as well, in my opinion, and, and worked worked tirelessly with us on the on the training ground. So a lot of it was was scruffy, horrible one nil wins away from home in tough places. Like you know, I remember that Preston, who were a really good side there. But it was a tough place to go. And we beat them 1-0. We won 1-0 all the way at Stoke in the midweek game where I scored. And um, it was, yeah, so it was, it was brilliant, brilliant times. But the team spirit was, I mean, we had a really good team spirit at Portsmouth. But this at Fulham was just incredible. Um, and obviously, Chris was the captain and the leader in the changing room. And I was big mates with him going in, but we we sort of soon cemented our friendship, if you like, and became like best mates. And and Kevin was was excellent, his his management style. Um and he he really he did really well. He let let sort of cookie Chris Coleman cookie like pretty much run the changing room. Um but Kevin kept an eye on it. He made sure everything was going how he wanted, but he let the players sort of run it and he, he was great. Um and he kept our feet on the ground as well. He, he like he gave us a lot of credit, but he he certainly kept our feet on the ground. He certainly did with me anyway. Yeah. Um, I remember one day I'd scored, I think, like I said, I scored 11 goals that first season. And I'd, I'd scored about five in nine games or something ridiculous. I was like, for me, I was on fire. So we were training and I was, my team were on the outside. So two teams playing against each other. My team was on the outside. And Keith, Kevin's walking around, and he's, he's so he's walking behind me. So he's like, "You're playing well, son. You're playing well." I'm like, "Yeah, cheers, Gaffer." As he walks past, and he's like, "You have a little bit of a purple patch." So I went, "Yeah, I suppose I am." Feeling all cocky with myself, and he said, "I had a purple patch once." So I went, "Really?" He went, "Yeah, mine lasted 15 years," and he just kept on walking. <laughs> and I was like, "He just he killed me." I, yeah. you know, I know what five goals, nine games, no, big wells. He's got European Football of the Year twice and, you know, God knows how many goals and for England and caps and, and appearances for Liverpool. You know, what a player. Basically, he was just saying, you're doing all right, but keep your feet on the ground. You've done nothing yet. And for me, it was hilarious because he, he just took the legs from underneath me. But yeah, really good management for me, you know. And was, I, he one of, was he one of the lads? Was he properly one of the lads? No. Or was he no, very he much really. separated? He wasn't really, no, but he, he just had a good management style. But also, he could be ruthless. If he, mm. if he didn't like you, for whatever reason, you, you're in trouble, you know. But I, for me, personally, he was fantastic. And I think most of, the, most of the boys around the club at that time will say exactly the same. Yeah, he comes across as someone who will give you the time of day. I watched a really good interview um, about Niall Ranger, um, the ex-Newcastle United striker, and obviously Kevin Keegan was the man who brought him through. Now, he gave a lot of faith in Niall, and then Niall, obviously, as we all know, let that go. And then, like you say there, when, when Kevin Keegan needs to be firm, he will. And, I, I, you know, we threw the book at him, and, and probably rightly so. Um, for a manager of Kev, Kevin Keegan, 
as a player, surely you were bouncing going into work every day. I mean, a hero, England legend via Hamburg, in fact. Um, I think the what that team did was Man City was surely the favourites go going into that season. And as I say, I remember that season very well myself because they finished third and they can never forget that because Warsaw finished second. Um, I'll never <laughs> forget that. We did. We did. Um, on a shoestring as well. Um, so obviously, Fulham, you get promoted. Kevin Keegan obviously has got a decision to make. He's running the England team at the exact same time as doing the Fulham job, which was obviously very interested in, its, in, in itself. I don't think we've ever seen it since. Um, Jean Tiganar then comes in, world famous for the cocktail stick in his mouth. What, what was he like to, to work under, Jean Tiganar? Um, yeah, he was, he was brilliant. He completely, I mean, we had obviously Kevin, um, it was actually, he, he got announced as England manager, the, the, I think the day before our last game of the season. We played Preston at home. We'd already won the league and been promoted and everything. Um, and he got announced then. But, Paul Bracewell took over for the following season um, and then Tigana came in at the end of that season and just completely changed everything that we'd ever done, the way we trained, the way we, we sort of lived our lives, if you like, the diet side of things and the way we played and he completely changed it. It was a big shock to the system to start with, but it was incredible. I mean, also, we, we had some good players still there, some very good players still there. But then he brought in some some excellent players as well. You know, people like John Collins, obviously vastly experienced. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your Louis Starhars and Steve Malbronx, players like that. Some, oh, some what a player. Lee Clark oh. was... Lee Clark oh, was He'd he come in with, with Paul Bracewell before. Um, so there's a lot of good players who fitted perfectly for what he wanted to do. Um, although we didn't realise it at the time. It, it took a little bit of getting used to from, from some of us, but... Uh, it, no, it was it was tremendous, and that I mean that season, like I say, the, the team spirit under Keegan was incredible. We won a lot of, like I say, we had to roll our sleeves up and fight for each other, which we were willing to do. Uh, but the football under John Tigana was just incredible. But we yeah. still had that that resilience and that fighting spirit as well um, to go alongside some some silky soccer at times, and it was, it was a great combination. Yeah, I, I know a Fulham fan. I worked with him and uh, he told me that the, the Jean Tigana season where you had 101 points in the Division 1 was uh, the best football he's ever seen at Fulham in his in his lifetime. So, and that, you know, it's a high praise. Was he, um, you mentioned he come in and you changed, sort of really changed the culture. Was he very, you know, a similar vein to sort of how Arsene Wenger was when he yeah, took over exactly. at Arsenal? Was there a lot of parallel with that sort of situation? Had he ever worked under Wenger or anything, do you know? Um, I'm not sure actually. I don't know. I don't think so. Mm. Um, but it was certainly from what I'm hearing, there are a lot of similarities to, to that. And like I say, the style of training, he had, he had a fitness guy, Roger Kropos, who, who, who put us into groups for the, for the fitness training and they're, they're very big on that. And it was, like I say, it was just something, it's probably pretty commonplace now in most clubs. Yeah. This style of, this yeah. way of working. But for us at the time, it was it was completely new. We'd never seen it before. Um, and it, it took a, you know, it would have taken a little bit of getting used to, but the results straight away from the start of that season went bang, were fantastic. And so uh, players, everyone just bought into it straight away and, and we were off and running. And it, yeah, it was like I say, the football was incredible. And I mean, the one standout player for me, like I said, I've mentioned a lot of really good players, but Louis Saha, that, that 
that season we won the championship was the best individual performance I've seen over the course of a season from anyone. He was just incredible. What's he like, Kit? He, that season, he was literally unplayable. He was like, he could go both ways. He'd go, go right or left. Um, really strong physically, quick over the top, great in the air, incredible spring. He mm. just had everything. And I mean, the big thing from that season, I don't think he picked up an injury previous right, and yeah, yeah. subsequently in his career, he's, he's had some tough times with injuries. But, and this is the championship, so it's tough as well. People, you know, there's a lot of uncompromising defenders in that league, as I know, because yeah. I was one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so people tried to kick lumps out of Louis and tried all sorts of ways to stop him, but he was so strong and powerful and quick. And he took a lot of kicks, a lot of hits. But like I say, for, I don't know how it came about, but for that season, he just didn't get injured. And people were bouncing off him. He, he was just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it says a lot about Louis Saha that when, you know, when he went to Man United, a lot, maybe a few eyebrows were raised. Um, certainly from the, like, you know, like the mainstream of football, you know, he'd only had what, half a season in the Premier League, wasn't maybe well known. He never looked out of place at United, did he? He always did well there. And like you say, he had a lot of injuries, but he never looked out of place at United. He always fit in there. Yeah, he was no, he didn't. Well, our, our first game, the first game for Fulham in the Premier League was Man United yeah. at Old Trafford. And he scored, we lost 3 2. Um, bit of a moody free kick by Beckham right at the end. But um, he scored two, Louis Saar. I think Gary Neville played centre half that day. And Louis Saar just ripped him, absolutely yeah. ripped him. And he was, he was brilliant. So it's, I think Sir Alex knows a player when he sees one. And he, he Saw it, saw a really good Louis Saha on that day, and thought I'm I remember it. And, I'm yeah. sure it was a January move. I think um, he, he did really, really well for the first half of the season, and I remember him then going to my. You know, he just carried it on. He was like you say, he, he, the perfect physique, the specimen. He, as a as a forward, he had everything. When you think about it, really underrated player Louis Saha, no doubt about it. Um, now, obviously. You, you get you you personally stayed in the championship. Is that correct? You didn't go up with Fulham. No, I went up with Fulham. Yeah, I played a few games in the Premier League, but yeah, I wasn't playing week in week out. I was on the bench a lot of the time, and it was a stage of my class. Wanted I wanted to be playing week in week out. So my last game for Fulham was was Arsenal at Craven Cottage, and they um. I think we were drawing one all, and then they bought Burkamp and Wiltord on as subs. So that's fucking cheating, isn't it? So, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, decided, I decided this wasn't for me. So I went to the championship after that was Palace. No, fair enough. Um, yeah, so no, so I wasn't I wasn't playing every week, and I was on to Tagana all the time. I said, listen, I've signed I signed for a free transfer. I was on modest wages. I've helped the club with two promotions. Just let me go, but. I think he won because, like I say, the spirit was was so strong, so good at Fulham. He did. He wanted me to stay and just be sort of like a squad player. But I, I was desperate yeah, yeah. to play. Um, and as much as I, I got his point of view, he wanted you know the, a bit of harmony in in the whole squad and things like that. But I couldn't. I, I didn't want to stay and not play. You know, I needed to to get down and play. So uh, I went to Crystal Palace. Who would have been the manager at Palace at that time? Was it Bruce? Well, well, Bruce, he was trying to sign me. Um, he tried to sign me a couple of times, actually, at Huddersfield and at Sheffield United, mm. which was when I signed for Fulham. Um, and so Bruce, he was signing me. The sort of deal was going through 
and then he went to Birmingham. So I, right. in effect, I was Trevor Francis's first signing, but the yeah. deal was already done with Brucey. Um, but we just carried it on, and you know, I still, I, I still wanted to leave yeah. Fulham, so I wasn't playing. Um, and so, yeah, so I ended up being Trevor Francis's first signing. So, what was it like to sit round a table opposite Simon Jordan and uh, and go into negotiations? Yeah, well, well, now negotiations were fine. That was all all sort of done via an agent and the chief scout at the time, a guy called Barry Simmons. So that that was right. But I had big dealings with Simon. Then a few years later on, when I became player caretaker manager, um, and I yeah, so that's that's when I really started having dealings with Simon and. Uh, yeah, they were colourful, I think, is uh, is fair to say. No, I, I really like Simon Jordan, just from, he's on the radio a lot. Um, and I personally think he talks a lot of sense, but there's also, it's tinged with a little bit of bitterness sometimes. But I mean, if you want a guy to tell you, you know, what is what, I think he might quite be your man. Did you, did you get on with him or, or was there ever a, you know, did you fall out with him? Yeah, was he unreasonable? Loads, of, loads of falling out, falling out. And I was only like, I said, player caretaker manager for I don't know, it was eight or nine games, or whatever. And yeah, loads of falling outs just in that short time um, over some sort of ridiculous things as well. It was some of the stuff that was going on at the club were, were crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, we sort of we got. I think we've got a respect for each other. Um, Simon and me, and he, you know, listen, I, I took over the Palace team when they were having a really, really bad time and and certainly steadied the ship. And I remember like my last game in charge was we played Reading away and won 3 0 at the Majeski. And pretty much that team that played that day was the team that then won the playoffs later on that season against West Ham. So he, he does, we, we, we've got like a, a respect for each other, Simon and himself. We, we had, yeah, we, we, sort of clashed horns on a regular basis when I was um, when I was in charge of the club. I can imagine him being quite petulant. Yeah, well, it's, it's over some, a lot of it was stupid things. I mean, one of it was like, it was it was sort of like, I took over um, November the 7th or something like that, I think it was, just after fireworks night. And um, so it's starting to get cold and, you know, rainy and wet and stuff. And the players, um, so I wanted them all to have, have their flu jabs from the doc. Mm. And the doc said to me, bit of a problem. I'm like, what's that? He said, we haven't paid for last year's flu jabs yet. So I actually have a row with Simon about that to get last year's flu jabs paid before we could get this year's done. And that was a problem. <laughs> and then, like I say, it was November, so it was rainy and cold and stuff. And um, the, the players didn't have any wet socks. So I'm like going on, I'm trying to, you know, I'm the manager at the time, I'm player caretaker manager, but I'm manager at the time and I'm, you know, I've got more to worry about than the players having wet tops. But I had to go through the whole process, finding out what had happened, why, why they got no wet tops, what they've done, we got given a, the allocation for the team and they'd sold them in the club shop. So I'm like, I'm like, we've got to have, we've got to have the wet tops. So that was another one from Simon. We had an argument about that. So it's things like this, it was like, it's sort of I can understand. funny now thinking about it. But I'm like, I'm a young, I'm still a player, obviously. I'm, yeah, and I'm trying yeah. to cut my teeth in management. <laughs> I'm arguing about things like this. But, um, but it was a great time and the, the players were brilliant with me. And I, I absolutely loved it. i got to say, what, what was the best thing was, because I was a player caretaker uh, manager, 
quite often I'd put myself sub and then if we were winning 1-0 I'd put myself on there for the last five minutes yeah. just to get on tap the crowd unfortunately I wasn't on <laughs> win bonus or anything like that but uh, I used to, I used to he, do he that. wouldn't have paid it Kit he wouldn't have paid it but it worked brilliant and every time I did it like Stuart Gray came in to help me He's a ah, yeah. Stuart was a brilliant coach really yeah. really good coach uh, and, a, and a top fella so Stu would go, put yourself on, put yourself on. And I remember one time we were, uh, we were beating Coventry at Sellers, And he's like, put yourself on. I'm like, no, we're doing all right, we're doing all right. And I, I didn't put myself on. And then they equalised like, the last couple of minutes. So I was kicking myself. So it could have been an extra two points, which, who knows, could have made the world of difference. But there we go. Because obviously, um, before we move on, on to Colchester, I believe obviously it was Crystal Palace under-23's manager as well. Um, so how did how did the caretaker manager thing end, and then obviously transition into going into that under twenty three? <laughs> well, again, another one with Simon. So I when I when I took the job on, I said it's the one thing, Simon. I want to I want you to tell me um, to my face first if someone else comes in, and I, I'm not going to get the job. Yeah, anyway, yeah, I promise you, I promise you, no problem. So um, I say results have gone quite well. You know, we we didn't have a clean sheet all season. When I took over. I think we had three or four clean sheets. Um, picked up a few wins and it was it was going okay. So results were doing well. Players were in, in good shape and good form. Um, then I get a phone call from uh, my solicitor who had a boy at Oldham. Who, um, so he phoned me actually, listen, I've got to tell you, so Ian, this on the Thursday, said Ian Dowie's spoken to the, the players at Oldham to say, thanks for your efforts, but I'm going to Crystal Palace. And then I get a phone call from a guy from Reuters, the, the news agency, yep. just saying... So we've had reports that Ian Dowie's coming in as, as Crystal Palace manager. Do you want to comment? I said, well, it can't be true because my chairman's promised me I'll be the first to know. Mm. And the guy's like, oh, I didn't know what to say. So obviously I knew what was going on. So I phoned Simon up. I said, listen, I've, getting, I've had these two phone calls today. You promised me I'll be the first to know. Has Ian Dowie signed for, is, is Ian Dowie the next manager? No, he's not. I hate the, the press there, parasites and all this. Yeah. No, that no, Ian Dowie's not, and he's slammed the phone down. So obviously, on the next day, it's all over the ticker tape on Sky. I'm like, he won't return any of my calls now. So I'm taking training. Me and Stuart Bray, we're like, what's going on? Do we? Yeah. Are we taking a team on Saturday? We've got Reading um, live on Sky. Are we taking a team or not? I don't know. And we, I didn't know. No one would answer my calls. I couldn't get hold of Simon. So I said to Stuart, "We, you got to just turn up as if as if normal." So get to. Get to the hotel and then the guy from Sky turns up and he's like, you know, you, you talk to him before to sort of give yeah. them the team on the QT so they can get their their graphics so, right. Yeah. Um. So talking to him and um, he's like, no, he's definitely now he's got it. I said, well, I've, I've sort of gathered that, but no one from the club spoke to me. He's like, oh, it's a disgrace, it's a disgrace. I said, didn't tell me about it. So then um, we're at, we're in the changing rooms now at the Majeski and. Uh, Players are getting changed. I've named the team, done a team talk, and it's a, it's a bit embarrassing because obviously all the boys know what's going on as well, same as me. Um, and then they're just getting ready to, to, to go out for the warm-up, and then Simon walks in. He said, uh, can, I have, can I have a quick word? I'm like, yeah, I think you better add. Yeah. And so we end up going outside into the tunnel, um, which again, because it's a sky game, this is all filmed. We're standing having a, like a, a discussion in the tunnel. And he says, I think, that, I think now is the right time to tell you that you're... Um, that Ian Dowie's coming in as, as Crystal Palace manager after this game. I'm like, no, Thursday night was the time to tell me that when I phoned you up. Yeah. 
and you and you lied to me. He said, I didn't lie. He said he, he hadn't officially signed the contract at that stage. So I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. Yeah. So it was a bit of a fob off. So I wasn't very happy about the way it went. Um, and we had a bit of a an argument in the tunnel, which, like I say, was all filmed on Sky. Um, but then the, the boys went out and smashed Red in 3 0 and were absolutely brilliant. So at least I went out with a bang, I suppose. Did you tell them before they went out onto the pitch after that um, conversation with Simon in the in the tunnel? Did you then go into the dressing room and let them know? Or no, they like I said they all knew anyway. They knew, the fact they he, knew. he came yeah. in and we went out, so it was obvious and they all knew. Like I said it was all over the ticker tape on Sky yeah. on the Friday night. What was happening? So it was a bit. That was a bit shoddy I think and I deserve better mm. than that especially yeah. as I've, I've done a good job and then one of the reasons so he, he gave me a couple of reasons why I never got the job and I said well it's, it's not results is it and he went oh no 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 results have been really good performances have been good oh yeah there you go then but anyway so but then yeah so then on the Monday morning um, Ian Dowie came in as uh, as Crystal Palace manager well, I know I know down for years play against each other and um I knew him socially a little bit as well. So he called me in and just said, listen, you know, listen, we know each other. There's not going to be a problem. We'll just get on. And I, I went back to being a player for about four or five days. And he tried to get the person he wanted in as assistant, who then wouldn't come for whatever reason. So he came back to me and called me and said, listen, would you would you stay on as, as like um, player assistant manager now? I went, yeah, fine. So I did that. And he said, he said, I'll be straight with you. He said, I'll have to cut back your playing, probably. Um, but I'm like, yeah, okay. So, so I did that. And then we got to the playoffs, um, beat, beat West Ham in the final, got promoted to the Premier League. Then my, then my playing contract ran out. So they, he said, Dowie said that he wanted me to stay on as, a, as assistant manager, but I'd have to give up playing. So I was 33 and I'd, I'd had a bad hip injury as well when I was at Palace. Mm. And I was struggling, to be honest. So... I could have gone on and played another couple of seasons, maybe championship still or league one. But I had the offer to be, and I was struggling with my hip, like I say, and the offer to be assistant manager in the Premier League at 33. Oh. So I thought, no, it's just too good an opportunity to turn yeah, yeah. down. So, so I did that. Yeah, so at what, uh, at what point did um, you decide that you wanted to go into coaching? So at what stage in your career would you did you start thinking, I'm, I'm going to start preparing for after my playing career well like I said because of the way it happened I'd, I'd, I've been sort of I've been looking at it from sort of early 30s 31, 32 I've been thinking about you know when you finish playing and um, I wanted to stay in football because that's, that's all I know and that's what I love so I wanted, you know I was thinking like the agency side media side or coaching and I was quite open and happy to you know with all three of those options and then, like I say, it came out of nowhere. This literally, I was, I was just a player at Palace. In fact, I didn't even play. We, we lost, we lost five nil to Wigan on the Saturday, uh, away to Wigan, and I, and I was sub. And um, so I came in training that Monday morning, like fuming because we'd been smashed. I was sub and, and didn't play. Um, and then Simon just called me in and, and said he what you know he, he'd sacked Steve Kemba and Terry Bullivant and he wanted me to take over. So it, it came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it. Um, I hadn't done. I'd just started my the, the the first of my coaching badges, but I was like literally just on the ladder with that. So I wasn't fully qualified by any stretch of the imagination, and basically had to blag it, which I did. 
Yeah, I mean, I um, I went to watch England against Northern Ireland at Old Trafford uh, a fair few years ago when we were on our tour of the country, and I actually got Ian Dowie's autograph. I saw him in the concourse underneath. Really big guy, he surprised me. He's bigger than what he looks like on TV. And I said, uh, "Hi, Ian, can I get your autograph?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, sure, sure." He was quite firm um, the way he was <laughs> as a, as a man. But I thought, Christ, he was quite big actually. He took me by surprise. <laughs> got Bobby Robson's autograph that day as well. Um, oh, brilliant! Yeah. Go. So from from there, obviously, Colchester United. Um, completely different change of scenery to your career. You, you've been in the big league whole career. You know, right front and center. Colchester United. Break it down for us, Kit. How does that happen? Yeah, well, I was, so I was at Palace and I stayed. So Dowie got, got well, Dowie left. He went um, under a bit of a bit of a cloud. He left yeah. Palace and, and went to Cholton because it was close yeah, to yeah. Bolton, if you remember rightly. Which is when it did. So anyway, that was, that was all a bit of a mess. But anyway, so then Peter Taylor came in, so I stayed on as assistant with Pete. Good manager. Um, and then Pete got sacked. Uh, and then Neil Warnock came in, and so that uh, that was time for me to go. He came in with, with Keith Curl as assistant stuff, so it wasn't going to go well for me. I, I read that straight away, and uh, I, I, so I decided it's time for me to leave. And be fair, like I said, I'm not always seeing eye to eye with Simon and everything, but he was really good when I spoke to him and said, "Listen, I might, you know, I can't, I can't stay here now." Um, and he was he was good as gold with that, and I got you know, I know. A percentage of my money I was old or something, and he, he was very good with the way he did that. So it, certainly for that, I've got a lot of respect for him and a lot of time for him. Um, yeah, so then I was, you know, I was out of work, and um, I just saw. Um, I think it was uh, Nick Arthur who just he was assistant with Gowright Williams, who, who I played for. I knew Gowright well, a real top fella, and I just saw that that um, I can't it was Mick actually. Yeah, Mick and uh, Mick Adams at one stage as well. I can't remember. One of them had just left as, as his assistant. Um, so I just thought I'd give him a ring. So I phoned him up. I said, right, George, how are you, mate? I said, I see, you know, you, you haven't got an assistant at the moment. Um, fancy a cup of tea. So I drove up there, saw him for a cup of tea, and then, yeah, went in as assistant there. And he was, he was, he was brilliant. Go right. And really, um, like methodical, the way he worked and, and everything had to be spot on. And he was just a really nice guy, really good bloke as well. And yeah, I went up to Colchester and then really enjoyed that working with Gary. And um, yeah, so that's basically how it came about. I just phoned him up, and went up for a cup of tea. So that would would that have been League One at the time? Um, I think I went in right at the end of the season, um, just as though they were pr- pretty much relegated relegated already from the Championship. Right. Okay. So yeah. One yeah. season in Championship, and then at Layer Road. And then for the start of the next season, League One, they were in the new stadium. Yeah. Um, and that's that was part of the problem. We just, you know, you get the curse of the new stadium. I think quite yeah. a few teams have had it. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. Colchester certainly did. We couldn't just couldn't get a win at the stadium, unfortunately. And uh, and then Garan got sacked. Um, obviously, then you you did a little bit of a stint uh, as caretaker there, I believe, as well. And then obviously, the romance begins again. Back at Craven Cottage, um, coming in under Roy Hodgson and that Fulham team, I can reel off us off of my head. You've, you've got your, you know, your Jimmy Bullard, so he was at Danny Murphy, Paul Konchesky, Anthony Amy, I believe, was there. Um, yeah, old time Gera. Yeah, oh, what a player he was. <laughs> you know. Dempsey. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bobby Zamora. Yeah. Team, yeah. Danny Murphy. Yeah. Um, how? How did that come around? 
Fred, Fred Hadalak. Yeah, yeah what a player. Good, yeah, good yeah. player. How did that sort of come around, Kit? How did you end up then back back at your, you know, I'd say I'd say football in home and really in some ways is Fulham? Well, what happened, again, it's sort of quite obscure and you know, weird how things come about. So the, the chief scout who signed me at Palace from Fulham was now the chief scout at Fulham, uh, a guy called Barry Simmons, who's, who's working with Roy again now at Palace. Right. Um, and so Barry phoned me up and I just went in and did some scouting for him, for, just for expenses. But obviously that was the, um, the Europa League season. So I went in, I was doing, you know, going all over Europe, really, scouting just for expenses to start with. Then I got in, I knew, knew a couple of guys in the academy, so speaking with them. So I ended up doing some scouting and then a little bit of work with some of the younger age groups in the academy. I went away with the under-13s, I think it was, to Finland for a tournament and did a bit of work with them. Um and this, like I said, this was for no money to start with. Then I ended up getting like a, a sort of small split contract, some for the scouting, some for academy work. Yeah. Uh, and then then ended up doing, helping Gary Brazil was, was the under-18s manager. So now I spent a lot of time helping Gary. And then Gary just said to me one day, listen, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm moving back to Nottingham because his kids were up there. Had a job in the Premier League. And he said, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be moving in a couple of months, but I want, I think you should take the job as the under-18s. And he discussed it with him with Hugh Jennings, who's academy director, or academy manager. And um, and that's what happened. And then, I, so we did like sort of two-month transition where Gary sort of stepped back a little bit. Yeah. I stepped up a bit more over that two months. And it, so it was quite a seamless exchange, if you like. And I took the under-18s at Fulham then, which was, of all my jobs in football, that's probably the one I've actually got the most enjoyment out of and satisfaction you know I've, I've done some brilliant things obviously at first team level and obviously international stuff which has been mm-hmm. incredible but for pure enjoyment and satisfaction and thinking you can make a difference I think the under 18s at Fulham was was the most enjoyable. So who would have been in that under 18 side then that has got on to um, really have a good career I know we we know Moussa Dembele uh, maybe a little bit early for Patrick Roberts. They were a little bit young, or well, Moose and Pat the same age, but they were right, okay. They were a little bit. They were under 16s at that time, so they were with Mark Pembridge um, right. in the 16s. Playing as well, right? Yeah. Um, but then, but then Moose obviously Moose came in. So Pat was there. Moose came in. Um, was brought in. We sat, we had a few players. Um, boy, last Christiansen, who's, who's gone back to Denmark playing now. They're, there are a lot of players who, who sort of did really well uh, at that youth stage, and then quite a lot of them. Then when I when I got it, became first team manager, I was I was able to sort of play them in the first team, quite a few yeah. of them. So again, that gave me a, a lot of satisfaction with that. But the two, I mean, the two main ones would be sort of Musa Musa Dembele and, and Pat Roberts. Marcus Bettinelli was yeah. uh, a little bit older. Um, Marcus, but coming coming through, obviously, I then was able to play him in the first team as well. So, yeah, we had we had a, it's a really really good academy set up at Fulham, um, and they'd started to spend a little bit of money, nothing like your Chelsea and your Man Cities were spending, but they'd started to get in a few boys from overseas um, for a, for a bit of money. Moose had probably been the main one, but you know that was certainly money well spent on him. As, as you can oh see. yeah, yeah, good yeah. Player. Damn good player. Um, obviously, um, am I right in saying that you then obviously 
get get into the whale setup. But was that alongside Fulham at sort of at the same time? Yeah, well, I was doing the under 18s at Fulham at the time, and um, Chris phoned me up and just said, "Listen, I've been offered the uh, the Welsh job, you know." And and I knew all the people there. Chris didn't know anyone or many people there in the setup at the time, but I knew all the staff. So I'd done all my courses through the Welsh FA yeah, by this right. time now. Um, and I so I knew all the people there from the you know the, the masseurs and that and the physios. Uh, obviously, Oshan Roberts, I knew because he was he technical director so he was heading up the courses that I was taking as well so uh, Martin Margaretson was a goalkeeping coach I played with at Man City um, Ryan and Morgan's a fitness coach I knew and, and Adam Owen the two boys who did the fitness I knew both of them so I knew everyone so I said to Chris straight away I said mate you've got brilliant staff I said you haven't got to change too much there and he said yeah but I, I need you to come in I want you to come in as assistant so I'm like oh okay I think you know doing Fulham under 18 I didn't think it'd be a problem I spoke to spoke to the club about it and they were more than happy for me to to crack on and do that. And it was, you know, you know when we first took over, we had some really difficult times because, you know, we'd taken over from Gary Speed, who, who was our mate. And yeah. it was a, yeah, yeah. it was a country in mourning, basically. Um, you know, the staff and the players, people were were, were distraught and, and struggling to come to terms with, with what had happened. Yeah. And it was a really tough time to start with. And we had, you know, we had a lot of tough results on the pitch. Things weren't going well. And then it suddenly, I mean, Serbia away was the low point. We got smashed away in Serbia. Um, but that was a turning point. Then I think after that, because a few things changed. And and then we just went on an incredible run. And um, obviously, you know, all the way, all the way to the semi-finals of the Euros. Yeah, yeah, you beat England there, and and you know, well, England won the match. Actually, I remember Daniel Sturridge, which was great. I have to say that as an England fan, um, no disrespect, but to be fair, you got further in the tournament, so that deserves massive credit. You're right. Obviously, Gary started off something in you know at that Wales level, and then you and Chris, it seems like just took it on from the outside looking in. I remember Wales playing away at England at Wembley in a friendly, and I saw the lineup before, and I thought, my God, like they're actually a damn damn good team. You know, Gareth Bale. Chris Gunter, just proper, comfortably solid players. But then you had people like Joe Ledley, probably underrated through his career, I yeah. believe. I think he's a really good central midfielder. Um, Aaron Ramsey coming through, Joe Allen coming through. I mean, there's some real, real talent. Ben Davies. Yeah, really good team. Um, obviously, culminating in that Euro 2016, I think um, they did so well. Um, you know, to, to say that I wouldn't wasn't secretly hoping they'd do well. All right, okay, I'll admit, <laughs> okay, I was. Apart from when we played England, when Bale scored, I still think Joe Hart should have kept it out. I would have oh, kept yes. that out. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Gareth Bale, there's an aura about him, isn't there? The guy's a class act. Um, but it, like you like you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of really good players there. But I, I think I I touched on it right at the top of, of the interview that um, mm. the team spirit at Fulham was incredible when I was a player there, only matched by the, the spirit that this group of players had with right. Wales. It was so a lot of good players, really, really good players. But when you get good players, then with that team spirit and belief, it's it's incredible. And that's what that's what we had back then. It was it was it was fantastic. It was something very, very special. And I think all the players and, and the staff that were, were part of it will will all say exactly the same. It was it was just something special. And you know, it all comes all comes from the top. So Chris sort of set the tone. Um, but then he, he again, like you know, I said about Kevin Keegan, he, he gave the players 
um, a lot of scope to, to manage themselves in certain aspects, but then he was very much the man in charge and yeah. the buck stopped with him. But just his, his, his man management style and techniques and then just the balance and the, 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 the way that, that group of players gelled. Everyone, we just loved coming away. We loved every camp and playing. We, we, the, our biggest problem was the injured players turning up because they wanted to come and didn't want to miss out on anything. And so we'd have loads of players who were injured, couldn't be in the squad, but they'd want to turn up to camps. Yeah, We'd have to bin them and get rid of them, chuck, send them back because, you know, yeah. we, we wanted to see them and so they'd come in and they want to see their mates and that. But then we'd have to try and get them back to their clubs because our physios were overworked. But people just wanted, everyone wanted to be part of it. And, you know, the, like I say, the, the players, the, the, the spirit there was brilliant, but the staff were fantastic as well. And the way it all sort of dovetailed together was, was just was something very, very special. Of course, sometimes un, unsung heroes would be, would be the staff. I mean, all, you know, you look at that team from the outside looking in, the two outstanding players would be Aaron Ramsey and Gareth Bale. Um, but then let's not forget Joe Allen, you know, I, I follow brilliant. Liverpool. Fantastic player, Joe, yeah. Brilliant. It's, it's really simple, really good, really good player, actually. Underrated, in my opinion. Um, managing Gareth Bale, have to ask the question. It'd be rude not to. Um, world-class talent. Is he as dedicated and professional as he looks from the outside? He looks literally, he, he just lives and breathes the sport. Yeah, I mean, the, the, again, the biggest sort of problem you've got with him would be he just wants to have a kick about with his mates. So yeah. you've got to remember, like, a lot of these, the boys in the squad at that time, had all come through together and they were big mates. So he's like, he, and, and they're, all, they're, they're daft as a brush, like a lot of them. So him and, him and Dunce, Chris Gunter and yeah. Joe Leds, and just, they're just messing about. They're big kids messing about, like, you know, it's whatever kick about. And, um, but, I mean, Chris will, Chris will tell you the same. Just a, a joy a joy to manage. Really easy, easy to manage because, yeah. as you said, he's just such a good professional, Gareth. When, when, when they say Wales, Golf, Madrid, is it true? <laughs> <laughs> um, he, loves, he loves turning up for Wales. 100%. This country, yeah, absolutely. And he loves his golf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just look at what he's achieved for Real Madrid. So, More listen, listen a, lot, a lot of that was, I mean, that was, that was what he got, he got sort of, that was what was aimed at him from one of the papers in Spain and he just gave it back to them. He's only, yeah, yeah, yeah. on that flag was what they were saying about him prior. So, He's almost like, you know, right back at you type thing. But yeah, absolutely. those weren't his words. Those were the paper's words about Yeah, him. yeah. You've you got to think with Gareth Bale, you've you got to think, you know, more goals than um, Ronaldo, more European Cups than Zidane. Um, he's actually achieved more than those players. I struggle to see from the outside. Where did it all go wrong? Why, but why, wrong, but why, the, why they not? Why they not? Why they not play? Why? Why was Zidane not playing him? I can't understand it. The Champions League final against Liverpool is a classic example. The week before, Gareth was just coming back from injury, and I remember watching this, and you could tell there was a problem with Zidane because Gareth Bale came on as a substitute, scored two goals, and he said, "I'm in the frame. I'm fit. I'm ready to play." Now, any other manager worth his salt would say, "Right, Gareth Bale plays." There's no no shoulda, coulda, woulda. He plays. It's as simple as that. Didn't play him. So then he come off the bench. Okay, Carrius had a, I don't know, a brain fade. 
Um, but the first goal was world-class. That is one of the greatest goals I have yeah. ever seen because of the pressure and the situation yeah. that it was. Because that game was level. Money had just equalised for Liverpool. And to be fair, Liverpool were doing really well in that match. And for Gareth Bale to pull that out the hat, wow, um, stunning. I, there's something not quite right with Zidane there. That really surprised me, really surprised me because I think he was the one who recommended Gareth Bale go to Real Madrid in the first place. So something's not right. But I mean, back at Tottenham, he's going to be back at a club where he's loved and people put faith and belief in him. And in any job in the world, if your manager shows faith and belief in you, you're going to run through a brick wall for them, surely. So hopefully we get to see the best of a Gareth Bale again. So, um, Certainly hope so. Yeah. Moving on from Wales, Kit, obviously incredible times there for yourself yeah. and Chris. Sunderland come calling. Did you want to be on the Netflix documentary or was or did you genuinely <laughs> think you could go there and keep them up? Um, that, was rot- that was rotten, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it was a really <laughs> tough time. Now we actually with with the with the Netflix thing, we we signed our contracts and then um Martin Bain, who was the chief exec, said, oh, and one thing I forgot to tell you boys. <laughs> and he mentioned the uh about the Netflix documentary, but obviously he had no say in it. It was all done. Through, through the owner, um, Ellie Short, who we, who we never met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or spoke to. Can't believe that. Um, or heard from, anyway, mm. shape or form. And so, yeah, so it was one and we just sort of got on with it. It wasn't, we certainly wouldn't have chosen to do it, um, especially not the, the state the club was in. Um, but saying that, you know, we, I, I, we ended up getting quite pally with a, a couple of the guys who were, who were doing it from from the production company and they stayed friends now still. So, um, cause they're actually Sunderland fans, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It's a, it's a big, uh, production company for World 73. So, um, yeah. So let's say it was, it was one of those, it was, it was difficult, a very, very difficult time. And, but it was, again, it's a brilliant club. And now Chris and myself were both similar in as much as, we like a challenge and we'll take a yeah, challenge yeah. on and um, you know, like I said, the Sunderland one didn't work out as we would have wanted. We honestly thought, we knew it was going to be tough, but we yeah. thought we would just about have enough to keep the club up. But then, I mean, as you can see from the documentary, just everything that could go wrong went wrong. Yeah. It was unbelievable and absolutely incredible. But, you know, again, a fantastic football club with, with brilliant support. And a lot of good people working there. So it's, I'm just pleased to see them sort of doing well at, at the moment. Yeah, that's one thing that really came through on the documentary. And, and it, it, for all the bad that was going on there, the fan base was unbelievable. Um, the passion up there, just the northeast in general is a real hotbed of football. But even like just the Sunderland fans, they, they took an absolute... You couldn't get much worse, really, could it? And they were still there, what, 30,000, 40,000 there every week? Well, I said about the, the Man City fans, you know, when I was I was at Man City having a tough time and the fans, it was almost like a cult following. Fans turned up in the numbers. Sunderland's very similar, you know, again, similar size clubs, massive clubs, Sunderland. Um, and the, the fans turn up no matter what, you know, and um, it was hard. It was very hard and it was, it was almost like a bit of a sort of toxic atmosphere at Stadium Alive, which, which like I had at Main Roads. And it... Yeah. It gets like that, but you know these fans are just so passionate. They want their club to do so well, and it, it's hurting them. You know, and I understand it fully. Listen, I've, I've I've been on the receiving end of it personally, and it's not nice, and it's hard to deal with. But I get it. 
you know, I'm a football fan as well as, as having been a player and a coach and a manager and stuff. I'm, I'm a football fan too. So I, I get how people feel. And, you know, it's, and, and a lot of the time, it's, you know, certainly Sunderland and Man City, the fans are angry because there's been a lot of things that have been done badly and wrong to mm. their football clubs that have got it into the state that it's in at that time. Over a long period of time, it's a culmination of a lot of things. So I know at the time when I was at Man City, I, you can't help but almost take it personally. And it's, it's hard to deal with, really tough to deal with. Yeah. So one reflection now, and as I've got a bit older and down the line, I, I do understand it and I get it. And it's not personal to you. It's, it's, it's over, like I say, it's, it's been a build-up over a long period of time and because people have done wrong by their football club and it shouldn't happen. I mean, you, you, Jack Rodwell, um, you know... <laughs> Unbelievable, um, to be honest. Um, it's it's an unbelievable situation. I think he refused to play at one point. I mean, you got a player there. It's you know, a, injuries have obviously dictated his career. I mean, he started off very well at Everton, got the big move to Manchester City. Sunderland step in, paid a hell of a lot of money per week for Jack Rodwell. I mean, what was the situation there with with, with him? Well, we, we went in. Um... Sunderland played Millwall at home on the, on the Saturday and then me and Chris went in straight after that um, and we were took training on the Sunday the next day. Um, so in that, in that Millwall game, Johnny Williams dislocates his shoulder. Um, Duncan Watmore does his ACL. Uh, Robin Reuter, the, the keeper, chucked yeah. two. The, the four goals were like four horrific of the worst goalkeeping mistakes you'll ever see. So we so we come in training the next day. We like we we got two really serious injuries. Keepers on his knees, sort of thing. We're like flipping up. Mm. So we do a light training session, and Jack Rodwell's in that. So I'm talking to Chris, and you know he's six foot two, and he's he's like a thoroughbred racehorse. The way he moves, he glides across yeah. the ground. That we like we and we knew all the, the situation and the stories surrounding him and stuff. But we're looking at his training session, I'm like, mate, we we play Aston Villa on the Tuesday night at Villa Park. I'm like, Cookie, he's, he's starting Tuesday night. Look at him. He's, he's a thorough yeah, yeah, yeah. And Chris is like, yeah, yeah, too right. Really light, easy training session. About 10 minutes to go. Jack walks in with a hamstring. And like, I mean, he didn't get out of a canter sort of thing. So, and then he was out for ages and we didn't see him. And we would have loved to have had him fit and available to play for us. He would have been in, you know, but yeah. just never... Again, listen, there have been things that have gone on for a long time before and we're just picking up the pieces at, at that time. Sure, so, yeah, absolutely. Millions of pieces by the sounds of things. Lots um, of pieces, yeah. It was, yeah. It was a, a broken, fractured changing room, to say the least. So it was, it was really difficult. But again, brilliant, brilliant football club. And as much as it didn't work out how we wanted to, um, you know, it's sort of like a privilege to have worked there, you know. Yeah, so absolutely. That's the way I view it. And like I say... I wanted, I desperately wanted the club to stay up. And even when we went down, we'd made plans and we had like potential signings for League One. Um, so we were sort of prepared to stay and planning to stay regardless of, of the outcome. Um, so it was unfortunate the way it panned out. Now, obviously, football's a crazy game, um, a game we all love, honour, respect, and need in our lives. Um, as far as I'm concerned, something comes out of left field next. China. How on earth did that happen, Kit? No idea, to be perfect. <laughs> so we've been, we've, been sacked, we've been sacked at Sunderland, but I've, um, 
I've, I've got a, a rented flat up in Tynemouth, which was beautiful. I mean, you say about the the football up in the northeast, but what a beautiful place to live as well. The, the coastline and scenery, yeah, yeah. some of the countryside up there. I was I was blown away. I've been up there playing football loads of times, but I've never really experienced it, seen it. And I was so I had this flat in Tynemouth, right overlooking the King Edward's Beach. It's beautiful, King Edward's Bay. It was a fantastic little spot. So I had that for like another like three or four weeks. So I thought I'm not I'm I'm staying here. So I, I was in the flat getting ready to, to go out and then got a phone call from Chris who was in Paris and he said oh, we go to China mate. I've just I've signed this all done. We're off. <laughs> and I knew he was having talks but I was like bloody hell so and that was it. That was I think on the Sunday and we flew out to Beijing on the Friday. So we had to rush through visas and stuff like that. I had to pack the flat up and, and get out and it was literally that quick and it sort of came pretty much out of nowhere. Um, but again, that was that was just a, an incredible experience and something we loved. What was the club? It was Hybei China Fortune. Is that what they're called? That's right. Yeah, that's correct. So when you took over, obviously Manuel Pellegrini had just gone to West Ham. Well, we, yeah, so we took over, it was halfway through the season because it was the World Cup that year. Right. Um, so they had a break halfway through the season um, for the World Cup. And, and that's when he's literally they had a dinner after the last game of the, of the first half of the season and Pellegrini sort of announced then that he was going to West Ham. Um, so then we went in, we did like a mini pre-season, like a 10-day pre-season, mm. then straight into the second half of the season sort of thing. So we, we took over. I think they were they were fourth or fifth bottom when we, we went in and, and not doing well at all when there was like genuine fear of, of relegation. We were told it wasn't a particularly good or it was certainly a difficult changing room, but we went in there and it, it was brilliant. We, we loved it. It, it must be a bit of a difficult changing room when you've got people on X amount of money um, and then obviously the, the native Chinese players on clearly substantially less money. Um, what was it like? Obviously, you've worked with some great players during your career from your Gareth Bale is obviously the standout one to then working with Ezekiel Levetsi. Um, what, what, what were the main players like to be around in China? Was it, were they, did they act different? Was there big egos there, for instance? Well, when we first walked in, so there was there was a few problems. Like, so Lovetsi Pocho, as, as everyone called him, was was struggling with his knee. He, so we didn't have him a lot, to be perfectly honest. He he missed a lot of games with us, and even when he played, he was definitely carrying his knee, and he ended up having a, a, an operation at the end of the season. Um. So so he wasn't. So he was obviously he's the highest earner in China. Um, I, I don't know if he still is, but he certainly was, or he was back then when he first signed, certainly. Um, so he wasn't fully fit, was carrying his injury. But then we had we had Mascherano uh, was with us yeah. as well. But wow. he, he was obviously away playing for Argentina in the World Cup. World so he Cup. didn't right. come okay. into yeah, a bit yeah. later. And there had been a problem with, with Mascherano because he's what probably the best pro I've ever worked with uh, out of all of them. He's just but he's really intense. So everything he does, he's got to do it full on. So even the warm-up, start, you know, just come out, start the warm-up, he's on it right from the very first second. He, he, he's got no other way of, of being. He can't help himself. Yeah. He's such a winner. Um, and the, quite a few of the Chinese players, it was quite a different sort of approach, a very much more laid-back approach. Yeah. 
and he would get very frustrated. And then he'd, he'd get frustrated with them, yeah, with himself. Course. And then he'd start trying to do different things in games. I mean, as a, he's one of the best defensive midfield players of all time. Yeah. But he'd start playing as if he was a number 10. <laughs> and, you know, and like, he's not. And he, he's not very good when he tries to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Class, when he does what he's good at. So Chris had this issue to deal with as well, but he called him in. Now, what he, what he is, he's just a brilliant guy, uh, Masha, fantastic fella. And Chris called him in, spoke to him, you know, man to man, and just said, listen, just do your job. You do your job and leave the rest to me. And, and be fair to the, the Chinese boys, they completely bought in to the way we wanted to work. And it was very different from what they were used to. And they, they were excellent. And then because yeah. they were buying in, working harder and showing a lot more intensity, um, Masha relaxed and, and just sort of went back to being the Mascherano we all know and started doing his job and, and doing it very, very well. Um, so, yeah, so there were sort of issues and problems, but, you know, again, the way Chris is and the way he deals with people and speaks to people, whether you're a, a Mascherano or one of the, the young Chinese boys coming through, they all... They knew he was, he was, you know, he's the boss, but he's, he's up front, he's honest, he'll tell people straight. And I don't care if you go to China or any other country in the world or if you're working in League One. If you're up front, honest with people and they trust you and believe in you, you've got a chance. Yeah. So I, that, that's interesting you say that about uh, Mascherano kick because there is a perception in football that a lot of these guys that go to China, it's, you know, it's just a big payday. They take their foot off the gas, the standard's easy, they don't really care. And that's interesting that you say that about Mascherano. Would you say that he was maybe a bit of a, a rare, a rarity of sort of the, the imports with that mentality? Or or did they, all of them, were they all playing at, you know, full tilt? Or were there people over there that you could tell they were going through the motions? No, um, not and- really. All, certainly the players that we came across from the other clubs, the foreign players, were there were a lot of really, really good players there who were doing well. There's obviously the like Hulk and Oscar. Uh, yep. Tashera. SIPG. So yep. many sort of good players. Really, Taliska, Evergrande, uh, uh, so many brilliant players. And Pella yeah, he's class. A lot of really, really top foreign players. And they all seem to be doing well for their clubs, you know, respective clubs. And every week you're looking at the, the goals and the assists and it was generally the foreign players who were yeah. scoring and assisting. And that was that was our big problem. Like, Pocho was injured for a lot of it, so we never had him to score the goals. Masha, yeah. as good as he is, he's not, let's like say, he's not a number 10. He's a, he's a defensive midfield player, so he's not likely to score too many or assist too many. Well, the closest so, kit... That- we get to these players is on a football uh, manager game as a simulation game and it's the closest we'll ever get to it if we're honest um Hernanes <laughs> is someone you would well, always buy my, buy my Serrano, be brilliant yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Hernanes no, uh, what was he like to work with was he there at the club when you were there uh, midfielder Hernanes well, yeah and uh, what an outstanding person as well Hernanes was brilliant so he was completely out of the picture when we first we actually played our first game sorry played he played our first game, missed a penalty. We drew nil-nil the first game and, and, and then has missed a penalty. But he hadn't really been in the picture under Pellegrini and they were looking to get him out. Um, so he, 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 he missed a penalty in the second game, he pulled his hamstring. So we're like, 
flipping out. He's we, we're going to be getting him out as well at this rate. Absolutely. He got himself back fit, and then he was brilliant. And he 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 got in towards the end of the season with us, and was our best player. Was incredible. Um, played really really well, but just also as a as a guy and a fella. Now he, he tried. He learned Chinese, which not many of the foreign well, I don't really? know any of them learned Chinese. But he made a real strong effort to learn Chinese, and all the all the local players, all the Chinese players in our club loved him. Absolutely loved him. He just because he, you know, your you Mascherano and your Pochos were international superstars playing. At the, at the football club. But Hernanes just wanted to be blending with one of them, you know, with one of the local lads. Like he, he's just such a smashing, wonderful character, um, but a really, really good player as well. Is he still there, do you know? No, no, he's left. He left, he, he left um, the end of that first season. He's like, um, he'd done well for us as well, really well for us. And we would have been happy to keep him, but there's... Again, the recruitment is, a, is another issue over there altogether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the league are going through some potential changes anyway where they're not allowed to spend uh, maybe as much money uh, as what they've spent previously. So that may have some bearing on it. The one player that I, I love who plays in China is Teixeira. Very nearly signed for Liverpool. Uh, Brazilian. Yeah. He, he's a class act. I, I, he should have graced the Premier League, in my opinion. I think he's brilliant. Um, so obviously you leave China and... We find ourselves to where we are now, um, looking for potentially the next the next club. Clearly, you're going to get one. You've got too much going on on your CV to ignore. Um, is I mean, obviously, you're open to working abroad. Um, would there be any sort of what's the lowest you'll go, Kit? I mean, in, in our in you know in the English football pyramid, would would League One be too low considering you've been at those ultimate highs now in China, working with those caliber of players? No, not again. We. With with Chris and myself, both of us are, are the same. We we love a challenge. So if it was yeah, if it was the right opportunity and something we sort of believed in and felt we could go in there and really affect it, we, we no, we just, I, don't, I don't know. I don't basically we, we sort of look at each job on its merits. I suppose you know. Yeah, I mean, certainly. like I say, League One now has some big clubs, some really yeah, really yeah, yeah. big clubs. Within it, you know, like Sunderland, Portsmouth, there's massive, massive clubs with, with huge fan bases. Now, obviously, sooner the fans can get back in, the better for all of us. I think we're all in mm, agreement there. Yeah, but, um, yeah, 100%. But yeah, the, I mean, sort of League One's now like what the Championship was. There's some really big yeah. clubs in there, sort of, you know, sleeping giants, whatever you want to call them, that, yep. that deserve to be knocking on the door of the Premier League, they're only the Championship. And um, yeah. yeah, so again, like I say, I think we, we would just look at each opportunity that arose on its merits. And, you know, ideally you want an ownership who, who have the same sort of vision as you and you can work with, but listen, football's not, a, not an, it's not an ideal world. I've, I've certainly learned that in, in all my years. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, if you wait for the perfect one, I don't think it'll ever come along. Um, yeah. And if you do, if it does, you're very, very lucky. You know, we sometimes a perfect storm can be created. Like at Wales, for example, everyone looks at the, the semi-final of, of the European Championships and how brilliant that was, a team spirit. But we went through some really tough, bad stuff to get there. People yeah, forget yeah. that quite often. They just yeah. see what's happened. 
oh, that's brilliant. They're so lucky walking into that. Well, that's what you well, see you there didn't. was not yeah. what we walked into. It was, it was a, like I say, as I said before, it was a country in mourning, basically. And it was uh, it was very different. So, yeah, people, you generally when, when things are going really, really well, it's because of a lot of hard work that's been done over months, probably years leading up to it. And you're seeing yeah. just bearing the fruits of that there and then. And sometimes it's not even the people, you know, who started the ball rolling who get the get to reap those rewards. But, yeah, that's how it is. Um, that's, that's football yeah. at the end of the day, isn't it? That's exactly. <laughs> You know? before, before we sort of um, wrap it up, I, I've got I've got one question for you. Um, who do you think is the greatest football personality that you've ever known in the game that you've worked with? Oh blimey! Um, personality. I mean, Jim. Going back again to Jim Smith, I, I made the point of stressing that he was he was a lot more than just just the personality in that, but he did have an incredible, <laughs> incredible yeah. personality. And there's so many like Jim stories that when we, we all went to his funeral not so long ago, yeah. and, um, we got together that, that sort of semi-final team and uh, Neil Sillett was a physio. They're really close with Jim. Um, we all got together. We, we just reeling off all the Jimmy stories and there's so many of them and they're so funny. He was just such such a character, but a real football person. But like I say, I wanted to stress that he he was a lot more than just that as well. He tactically, he was actually very, very good. And his sort of knowledge of the game and his knowledge of players was, he couldn't say the names of the players. Yeah, yeah. But, but but his actual knowledge on them was, was fantastic. He'd always get their names wrong. And he used to have us in hysterics. I remember we, I was at Ports, we played Man United away and he's like... Uh, <laughs> The, the, the big French guy up front, Cantona, so he's all about him. And, he's going, and then the boy on the wing, fucking quick, can, can, fuck, can, oh, the fucking Russian. Can he wasn't even Russian, but yeah. that, was, uh, that was Jimmy Phil. Yeah. Superstar. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.